Hi everyone and welcome to another Bible study here at One Love Live at Love Walk. And I am your host, Lila Winston. As you know, we come together to read in the Word of God so that we can uh, practically apply the Word in our lives and also so that we can learn the purpose of our lives. And as you know, we have been doing a series now of understanding our purpose, uh, more specifically uh, the callings, um, and we find those in Ephesians chapter 4. And so we first uh, have explored the first calling, which is the Apostle, and so now we're looking at Uh, the second one, which is the prophet. So uh, just to let you know, in the Bible, it appears there's a rank when it comes to these callings. And it seems that the two most important uh, callings that you will find in the Bible, um, even in the New Testament, is the apostle and the prophet. So if you're a prophet, Um, then this really does concern you. And if you don't know you're one or you think you might be or you might have some inkling, maybe you're a new Christian, maybe you know someone and you think they are one, this is going to help you to kind of clarify um, your purpose. It will help you to kind of keep from bumping into walls. I think a lot of times, a lot of believers, the reason, you know, they kind of follow certain things is because they don't realize that they have a calling, that they have things that they need to do And because they don't know that, they just kind of bounce around thinking that they need to be a parishioner. So we're going to go ahead and get into this study. So if you will do me a favor, go ahead and grab your Bible. Our anchor text is going to be Ephesians chapter 4, and that's going to be verse 11 and 12. And so we've read this before, but I'm going to read it one more time. Our anchor text is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 to 12, and it says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So these uh, callings have been given uh, so that we can edify the body of Christ, so that we can do the work of ministry, and also so that we can mature the saints. That's other believers like you and I. So your work is as much as important to me Uh, as any other person because your work helps to do those three things. So let's go ahead and look at the prophet. And if you see yourself in this, um, I really do hope that you will take the time to listen to this one again so that you can get more context. So we looked at the calling of apostle. And as you know, we're looking at prophets. And I want to point out that this is one of the oldest and most common kinds of religious offices, probably the oldest just next to the holy man or the the, um, priest, which is probably the oldest. You know, God's prophets date as far back as the Old Testament. And perhaps it is the only religious office that is older than the prophet, like I said, is the holy man or priest, which has been around in religions as far back. As, as the beginning of time. So I think this is a really important thing to understand that the office of a prophet, there's a lot of information out there about it. So you don't have to be um, as confused about it as say, if you're an apostle, if you have a calling as an apostle, there really isn't a lot of information out there about it. Uh, not a lot of people preach about it or talk about it. And it's a very uh, pivotal key role and you need to know about it. So the good thing about this study is that we can unearth the definition of prophets from the original Hebrew. You guys know I love to get the different definitions from the Hebrew. Uh, and the first mention of the prophet is in the Bible. I believe it's in Genesis chapter 20, verse 7, when God was addressing Abraham. 
and the king who had taken Sarah to be his wife. If you can remember that story about Abraham telling his wife to say that she was his sister, well, there is actually a text here that calls Abraham uh, a prophet. Let's read it now. It's Genesis 20 and 7. It says, Now therefore restore the man his wife, for he is a prophet, and he shall pray for you, and you shall live. And if you restore her not, know that you will surely die, you and all that are yours. Um, so I think it's important to understand that we're seeing Abraham as a prophet. I don't know if any of you have ever thought of him as a prophet, um, but he is. He, If you're a prophet, then you know he's one of your co-workers. But I think we could also say that Noah was a prophet, if you can remember, because he proclaimed the word of God. Um, and, and it's in this passage in Genesis chapter 20 and 7, that we see Abraham emerging as a prophet for God, sort of demonstrating that uh, in his life and the messages that he did get from God. And I want to also note that Moses was considered a prophet too. And you can find that in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 18. Um, and and just as an added bonus, I want to let you know that this office is a pro- of a prophet. It's ordained by God. And it has never really had a gender attached to it. I think that's one of the most unique things about the office of a prophet is that we never have any confusion in the Bible from the Old Testament to the New Testament on whether a woman can be a prophet. Yeah, if you notice that in, in uh, I believe it was in Exodus chapter 15 and 20, Miriam, which is Moses' sister, she was described as a prophetess. Also, Deborah, who was a judge in Israel, she was also a prophetess. Um, and then there was a woman called Huldah in 2 Kings chapter 22 and 14. She was the wife of Shulam. Um, she was a prophetess. Uh, then there in the New Testament, there was a woman called Anna, and she was the daughter of a man called Thanuel. And um, that's in Luke chapter 2, verse 36. There's also um, the three virgin sisters who prophesy to Paul about him being, you know, bound in Rome if he went to Rome. And that's in Acts chapter 21, verse 9. So we see early on that this was an office that was occupied by both men and women. So if you're a woman and you're listening to this, regardless of your age, because the three virgin sisters, we are under the impression that they were like very young. So it's possible for you to be a prophet uh, at a young age. Now let's look at that Hebrew word of prophet. It literally means a spokesperson, a speaker, or a prophet. And it gives us some insight into the function of the prophet. And we see this in Exodus chapter 1 and 7, that Aaron was a prophet to Moses when he was concerned about his slow of speechness. If you can remember how um, Abraham was like, you know, not Abraham, I'm sorry. Um, Moses was like, you know, I just really can't do this because I have, you know, this speech impediment. Well, he said, well, let Aaron be your prophet. And that's literally what Exodus chapter 7 verse 1 says. So we can, you know, look at that and, and see what it means to be a prophet when we look at the relationship between Moses and his brother Aaron. Did Aaron get the information from God? No, he just spoke. He just said whatever Moses told him to say. And so the prophet is not someone going out to accomplish a mission like an apostle um, or even to serve as a witness to the works of God. That's just not what a prophet does. But it's one who speaks on God's behalf in the same way that Aaron spoke on behalf of Moses as an inspired man. This is an internal inspiration or breathing of the word of 
God or the intention of God to man. The prophet is not speaking his own words. The prophet or the prophetess, um, they're considered the second most influential office. So these people do not just tell the future. They communicate the will of God to mankind. So a prophet is somehow inspired by God to speak his words to a particular group of people or an individual. Now the prophet may receive words to speak on behalf of God in various ways. And therefore, because it is a God gift or a calling, we cannot know um, how God will you know, inspire you or what he will use uh, to deliver that message to the prophet. But let's look at what the Bible says about how prophets are inspired to speak on behalf of God. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, 18, God speaks directly to Moses to describe how he will call and and inspire. So uh, in Deuteronomy 18, 18 and 19, we're seeing something very interesting. So let's read that right now. It says, I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren like unto you and will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. And it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will, I will require it of him. So God commissions and instructs the prophet what to say. He declares that he will put his words into the prophet's mouth. He also says that the prophet is required to speak all that God has given for him to say. So there seems to be a mandate for a prophet to be honest, upfront, and unafraid, particularly um, if there is a message that is controversial or even inflammatory. Okay, so let's look, let's go down one more step and look at Deuteronomy chapter 18 and 20. It says, But the prophet which shall presume to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or that shall speak in the name of other gods, even that prophet shall die. So we see here that accuracy and truth as a prophet is absolutely central. He speaks also against a prophet that presumes to speak in his name, but is speaking a word that God did not put into his mouth or her mouth to say. So God says that prophet would actually die. So we see that prophecy in God's name is something, you know, very important um, and it's very weighty. Believers who have this calling and proclaim a word not given by God, these people must be quick to correct and confess and repent and ask forgiveness because it's important that we don't say that God told us to say something that he didn't. You know, I see a lot of people sometimes and I'm, I'm believing in my spirit, the Lord wants us to or the Spirit of God wants us to mm, be careful about saying that kind of thing. You might be prophesying falsely in the name of the Lord. And that's what you have to be careful about. And I think, um, you know, we really have to be mindful of how we present certain things. You can say, I feel that we need to do A, B, or C thing, or I feel that this would be a good idea, or you should give $10 million. You know, you can say that, but you just don't want to malign the, the Lord and say that he is telling you to say that because that will put you in some, that will put you in a bad situation. Um, but, you know, perhaps most curious about prophecy and this particular calling is that um, those who hear a prophecy are the ones that actually have the due diligence. There's something for um, the person or the group or whatever, whoever it is that, you know, the prophet prophesies to, they then have a mandate 
upon them. The hearer of the prophecy must prove that the word is of God, and if he or she realizes that it is true, they are obligated to respond to that word. So this means the prophet, you may likely have some kinds of interactions with people um, that you prophesy to. They may ask you questions, they may seek ways to repent, or they may even remonstrate. That means they may respond unkindly or reject that word. So I, you need to be ready for that if you're, if you're a prophet. If you have been listening so far and thinking to yourself, you know, I think I might be this. Um, in Deuteronomy chapter 18 and 19, which we just read, it says, And it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. So when you come as a prophet and speak, the hearer has a responsibility to comply. But I want you to note you are not required to ensure that they respond. That's just not your, that's just not your wheelhouse. That's not uh, the work of a prophet. There is no punishment or rancor for which you are required to do to get people to respond to a proclamation. You're not required to do anything except deliver the word and leave. And um, once you've delivered that word, you are free of any responsibility after that. And that really is the bottom line. Um, I'm not saying being a prophet is easy, but really all you have to do is just say whatever God told you to say and then hit the road and run for it or, you know, whatever. The Bible tells us in the scriptures in Deuteronomy chapter 18 and 19 that it is God who will require it of them and not you. You don't need to be angry or sad or upset about the responses unless you need to run after you say it because of some sort of impending danger. Remember, in the Old Testament, many prophets had to prophesy on the run. Many people, including some believers, just if we're just going to be honest, we really, really don't like being reminded about what God says in a particular area, or we don't like negative predictions. Just read some of the major and minor prophets and you'll see all of the drama that they went through. So a good prophecy will likely be well-received, but a bad one may engender anger or conflict. So just remember, it's not about you. It's about the message that you have had to give them. But remember, as they say, don't, you know, don't, um, don't kill the messenger or something like that. Well, people actually do. So say whatever it is you got to say and then hit the road. Okay. So let's look at um, Numbers chapter 11 and 29. I think it says something interesting here that give us a little bit more context. And it says, and Moses said unto him, envious thou for my sake, would God that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. So now under the New Testament, we all have the spirit of the Lord inside of us. So if you are a prophet, you don't need for the spirit to come upon you. The Bible says in that uh, scripture that he would pour out in scriptures that he would pour out his spirit on all flesh in the prophet Joel. So I think it's important to understand that it is the spirit that is already in you that is going to allow you to give utterance. Let's look at Acts chapter 2 verse 17, just kind of back that up. And it shall come to pass in the last day, said the Lord, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. So do you see that? What we can discern from this verse is that one has to be listening for the spirit, and the only way to hear and adequately fulfill the calling of a prophet is to be spiritually minded. 
as it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 5 and 7, because think about it. Didn't he say that um, he would pour out his spirit and people would prophesy, dream dreams and see visions? Let's look at Romans chapter 8, verse 5 and 7, because if you already have the spirit in you, the challenge for you then is not that God would pour out the spirit on you so that you could prophesy, but that you were spiritually minded so you could ascertain the message or the word of God, um, a timely given, you know, to a group or an individual. Let's look at Romans chapter 8, verse 5 and 7. It says, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. This is a pretty big deal if you're a prophet. I mean, it's huge. And you may ask, well, why? Because you are tasked with speaking words of God, you are getting a veritable download from the Lord. That doesn't always mean a prediction either, but it may be a timely word or a reminder to someone, and you will need to be sensitive to the direction of the Spirit. But if you're carnally minded, how will you provide an accurate word? I mean, if being carnally minded is enmity with God, how can you actually get a word from Him? How will you speak on God's behalf? Being a carnally minded prophet is like being an intoxicated school bus driver. You can only cause destruction. Now, if you're a prophet, you might also have the spiritual gift of exhortation. You may also be dually gifted with a preaching gift or, or calling or even evangelism in the same way that Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 11, that he was apostle, a teacher, and a preacher. It seems sometimes there are accompanying gifts and callings that may go along with your most dominant calling. So if you're a prophet, then you may have others, or you might not. There's no hard or fast rule about it. It's just that sometimes this is the case. Now, how might God actually inspire you to speak his word? Like, how, how will that happen? Um, and that's a really great question. The Bible gives us a lot of juicy clues about the office and function of a prophet as it is the second oldest religious calling in the Bible. So let's look at Numbers chapter 12 and 6. It says, And he said, Hear now my words. If there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision, and I will speak unto him in a dream. So in many cases, the Lord gave his word through dreams and visions. Let's, let's explore both. And, um, you know, as we read in that scripture about him pouring out his spirit, it talked about dreams and visions, right? So let's explore them. Um, first, a dream. It literally means God will show or communicate to the prophet when they are asleep and in a dream. Um, but they will be able to recall it. That's a very important part. It's not just one of those fleeting dreams you have. And you're just like, yeah, you know, I had this really interesting dream and I can't remember it. Um, and it doesn't mean that every dream you have will be a prophecy, but, or that, or some sort of divine communication from God, but they will, he will sometimes generally communicate that way. Um, so you as a prophet, if God is communicating to you in a dream, you should be able to recall it, or at least the salient parts of it, 
or you may even just be able to recall the um, overall impression or the meaning behind the dream because that's really what the dream is trying to do is communicate a message to you and this will communicate a message or a word from God. Generally, you will know who it is meant for either from the context of the dream or just an inner knowing, or you may need to pray for more clarity. This is why being spiritually minded is so critical for people who have this very weighty calling as a prophet. It's just not something you play with. Like being a prophet, if you're a prophet, it's just not something you play with. And so you're going to need to be spiritually minded. And so God may also speak in visions. The Hebrew word vision means vision or mirror. So let's see what that word means actually in the English dictionary. If you look at Merriam-Webster, it defines it, the noun vision, not the noun vision, as something seen in a dream, a trance, or an ecstasy, and a supernatural appearance that conveys um, revelation. Or a vision may be had while one is awake. So that's important to remember that it could be, you know, some sort of state. Um, it might be a daydream or a moment of days. The point is that it conveys deep meaning to you when you're awake. You may instantly understand it or you may need additional dreams or visions to reveal its meaning. You may also need to pray or fast in order to understand it. Being a prophet can leave one sometimes with a lonely feeling because of the many revelations that you may have. God may have specific times for you to reveal it. So don't feel like if you get a vision or a dream, you immediately run out into the streets and say, hey, everybody. <laughs> um, and I think that's something we do have to uh, address in uh, many, I would say, um, you know, many church settings. Um, but I think, you know, it's not saying you have to reveal it immediately. I think you want to look back at Moses in the way that he sort of delivered each plague prophecy with Moses very carefully. He didn't reveal everything all at once. You have to remember and you have to know that Moses knew that Pharaoh would refuse each request, yet he still had to move forward each time and ask let my people go. And you may know the outcome of a situation, but be unable to communicate that to anyone at the time. So, you know, that might give you a kind of a lonely feeling like, oh, wow, I know the half of the world is going to fall down in three weeks, but I can't say anything about it until the second week. Now, I'm just being drastic right here because, you know, why not? But, you know, in that sense, it can make you feel a little bit like you're on an island. So being a prophet, you may find certain revelations difficult, not only to understand, but also to accept yourself. It will be important for you to be very spiritually minded and faithful to deliver some of the messages or even to accept them. You know, I just, just to give you a scenario, imagine if a good friend of yours called and said, you know, they're applying for this contest that they're really excited about, but immediately you see a vision showing that they will not win it. You're then left with a conundrum. Do you tell them or do you keep it to yourself? This is where being spiritually minded is so important and not being carnal because you might be tempted to tell them. You might be tempted to try and save their feelings and discourage them from even applying. But the question that you need to ask is what does God want you to do with the information? And as a prophet, that is your number one question 
you know, after any kind of revelation, I don't care if he shows you that, yeah, I don't know, you know, something very simple. The question you need to ask yourself if you're a prophet, if you're getting any downloads, is what does God want you to do with the information? That's number one. But the second thing is, who does God want me to communicate this information to? And the third, when does God want me to communicate the information? I think this is really huge because a lot of times there are people... um, who are in the church, who just are running from person to person, telling people all these uh, prophecies. And I'm not so sure that that kind of, uh, that is the way it's supposed to actually go specifically because of the example we see of prophets in the Bible. And of course, the fourth thing that you should ask yourself if you are a prophet and you receive you know any kind of revelation is how much of it does god want communicated because if we can remember moses god told him a whole lot of stuff but each and every time he only revealed a little bit a little bit a little bit to pharaoh coming in each time and saying let my people go or else and he knew the ending. He knew what would happen. So once you've delivered the information in the way that God wants you to do it and when God wants you to do it, you've fulfilled your part. So we see that there are two areas that prophets receive messages from God, but there's also a third, which is similar to what God said about Moses. So I know you're thinking, well, if it says visions and dreams, how are you able to say it's a third way? And I'm going to tell you, let's read Numbers chapter 12, verse 7 and 8. It says, My servant Moses is not so, who is faithful in all mine house. With him will I speak mouth to mouth, even apparently, and not in dark speeches. And the similitude of the Lord shall he behold. Wherefore then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? So he's telling us that Moses is having a particular kind of communication with God that's more face-to-face. Now we know because of the work of Christ that we now have the indwelling spirit, which means God may now speak to us almost face-to-face like he did Moses. God's rhema and logos word may serve as a message. This is why the calling of prophets requires you to be dedicated to renewing your mind and being spiritually minded and being more spiritual as the bible says you who are spiritual among you you know in terms of you know uh, delivering others he's telling you you have to be mindful of the spirit and minding the things of the spirit you see without it you may act on emotion or even mood or even ignorance Um, with pretty horrible consequences. So it's a weighty um, calling and you need to understand how to execute it. Now those who hear you also have a responsibility to test your words or have that prophecy corroborated in some kind of way as it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and 29. It says, let the prophets speak two or three and let the others judge so there's this idea of you're not just you know blurting out words and telling people oh you're getting married to this guy or you're getting married to this woman 
you know, I don't know how many people's lives have been shipwrecked because someone thought they were a prophet and said, well, Jim is your husband and you need to get married to him or Paul is your wife. Like, no, this is pretty serious if you're going to presume to be speaking for God and speaking into someone's life. So also a couple of verses down from 1 Corinthians 14 and 29, it tells us that the spirit of the prophets are under authority to the prophets which means spontaneous prophecy doesn't have to occur. This notion that the spirit will grip you and force you to act or speak is just plain erroneous. You do have control over yourself. The Bible even goes so far as to tell us not to quench the spirit. So we have complete control. Those people just jumping around, suddenly prophesying, are doing that under their own volition or their own emotion. Okay, there is the spirit isn't doing that to them. They have full control. And this isn't to out people or to be unkind or to look down on people, but it's important for you to understand that so that one, if you are a prophet, you understand what control you have over yourself in terms of how, when, where, and whether you should prophesy it to a person. And then also if you are an individual and someone is per to prophesy to you. I want you to also note what Paul says about laying on hands. Now, these things are done by prophets, not just random believers who decide to knight you with a gift. Okay, you know, we have that out there. Um, But that isn't, you know, to say that any believer couldn't be inspired by the Holy Ghost to, you know, uh, you know, prophesy. Um, Because the Bible said that the Spirit will be poured out and people would prophesy. Um, And so I think it's important for us to understand that. Look, let's look at this verse. It says, neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of hands of the presbytery. Think about that. These people aren't just laying hands on him like, boom, you have now the gift of, you know, preaching or the gift of evangelism. They're doing this by prophecy. And if by prophecy, then that means they're doing it as a spokesperson for God, which means once again, that a calling is by the ordination and by the appointment of God and not by man. Okay. So it's important to understand nobody is just going to run up to you, lay their hands on you and bam, they're going to make you into a preacher. No. That shouldn't and cannot happen unless that is a prophecy from God. The gift was through prophecy, a divine inspiration from God, from the spokesperson who speaks on God's behalf. So you really have to think about what is being said. You have to kind of read the scriptures and and not just sort of zoom over them so you can understand that nobody, there's no uh, precedent for just random people walking up to you and giving you gifts or callings. That just doesn't happen. Uh, We can even see it in the Old Testament as it says in Deuteronomy chapter 18, 20, and 22. But the prophet, which shall presume to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or that shall speak in the name of other gods, even that prophet shall die. And if they say in thine heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the the thing follow not, nor come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. But the prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. So for the hearers of prophecy, they are tasked with testing the predictions to know whether the prophet has spoken truly. But 
why and what happens if the prophecy happens well we have to test it that's what the bible says and so if you're going to be a prophet and you feel that you are a prophet the people that you speak to need to be testing those prophecies in deuteronomy chapter 13 verse 1 and 5 it says if there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams and giveth you a sign or a wonder and the sign or the wonder comes to pass whereof he spake unto thee saying let us go after other gods which we have not known and let us serve them you shall not listen unto the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams for the lord your god proves you to know whether you love the lord your god with all your heart and with all your soul you shall walk after the lord your god and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice and you shall serve him and cleave unto him and that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has spoken to turn you away from the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the way, out of the house of bondage to trust you, to thrust you out of the way, which the Lord thy God commanded thee to walk. So shalt thou put the evil away from the midst of thee. So even if the prophecy, the sign, or the wonder happens, the litmus test is whether its occurrence encourages faith in God or it detracts from it. This is really key to remember. The magicians of Pharaoh also had signs and wonders too, but their signs and wonders served to bring doubt about God and not faith. And so a prophecy should always strengthen your faith in God, even if it's difficult or scary. The hearer must ask, does this prophecy seduce me away from the Lord's commandments or draw me toward them? And I want to note that just because you have a dream or a vision that happens or you exhort someone or bring a message, it doesn't mean you are a full-time card-carrying prophet. Remember, the Spirit can manifest prophecy in all believers from time to time. However, a prophet is one who consistently brings a word from God. This doesn't always mean predictions, visions, or dreams. It could be exhortations, warnings, or reminders of the gospel. The prophet is a spokesperson, so you may fulfill this call in many ways. Now, let me give you a really real-world example. Let's say you're a student at a university and the professor asks, Are there really any absolute wrongs in the world? All the class may be unsure, but you know the truth. And as a prophet, you may speak up and provide godly context from the word of God. That would be exhortation or providing a timely truth in a situation where you are God's spokesperson. So maybe you're at the water cooler and someone says, God doesn't really care about us humans. He's too busy in heaven. This would be your time as a spokesperson for God to state God's position on it. In the same way a foreign minister or a press secretary might state the president or his administration's position on an issue. This is why sometimes prophets are blessed with the gift of preaching. Think about this. Prophets also serve a corrective function in the body of Christ, particularly when some error has been espoused as the gospel. As a prophet, you have to know what the Bible says about many topics so that you can competently speak on the kingdom's position on that matter. So it isn't a matter of you trying to get revelation from the scripture. It's a matter of you having knowledge of the scripture. You can speak about it competently. Prophets often find themselves at odds with the religious sometimes, too, because they often correct wrong theology. Prophets have to be sort of 
um, well versed on the constitution, on the position of their administration or the kingdom. And sometimes, unfortunately, some religious leaders and some people who are teachers and preachers or whatever, sometimes they make mistakes. They aren't studying and they're not keeping up with these things. And we need prophets to be out there to say, ah, ah, ah. Nope, the Bible actually says this. And often, sometimes a prophet may have a gift of teaching, which may help him to elucidate that to others. So the point is to state the Lord's official position on an issue. And this may make your ministry, if you're a prophet, a little bit unpopular, both inside and outside of the church. Let's face it, no one likes to be uh, corrected because we all have a tendency to bend toward pride. Everyone has their own will. And so our challenge in life is always to be bending towards God's will. And so the prophet must often face prideful individuals who may be a little bit angry (laughs) that they've been corrected or confronted. And this is one reason why God mentions apostles and prophets in Revelations, because with these callings, they have a very special position with God. If you're a prophet, you'll need to know the word of God. You need to be willing to speak God's position on an issue and even correct those who err, those who are unbelievers. And yes, my friend, (laughs) those who are believers too. So prophets can also play a huge role in anointing through the spirit. Prophets anointed kings in the Old Testament. And just like we were speaking about the laying on of hands through prophecy, you may be given information about someone's life, their calling, or their future. God may reveal things to you about certain people that he wants you to tell them. He wants you to warn them or warn others. Remember, Samuel and Nathan anointed kings, so the role has huge responsibility. God might send you to someone to deliver a message, And prophets play a huge role in the kingdom of God. They may also be given divine insight on how to fix, heal, or solve a problem. I know you probably haven't thought of that as a prophet, but think about these things and think about your life right now and, you know, the experiences you've had. Do you sometimes have divine insight on how to fix, heal, or solve a problem? I want you to remember in 2 Kings chapter 6 and 5 when there was a man who dropped the axe head um, into the river. And if you can remember, he said it was a borrowed axe. And so now he's, you know, kind of lost the axe. And then there was another situation in which uh, people made a soup out of like poisonous squash. And that's in 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 38 to 44. And in each one of those situations, God instantly gave the the prophet divine intel on how to solve the problem. So I think it's really important for you to understand that um, you might have a sort of divine insight into how to quickly fix something, uh, heal something, or solve a problem. Let's look at 2 Kings chapter 5 and 13 with Naaman. And his servant came near and spoke unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee do something great, would you have not done it? How much rather than when he says to you, wash and be clean, wash and be clean. Then went he down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again, like unto the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. It's a miraculous healing, but one done through specific steps and uncanny knowledge. 
think about that. So prophets sometimes have the gift of miracles derived from supernatural insight or knowledge from God. The actual life of a prophet may act as a divine warning. I mean, your actual life, like you living every day, can be a message or an exhortation for people. In Ezekiel, um, we can see this as well. Ezekiel chapter 8, verse 7 and 18. In this passage, God tells Ezekiel to dig into a wall, among various other things, to demonstrate certain prophecies or messages from God. As a prophet, your very life may serve as a prophecy to a city, to a group, to a nation, or even an individual. Prophets are also sent to bring men back to the Lord, as it says in 2 Chronicles chapter 24 and 19. Let's quickly look at it. It says, Yet he sent prophets to them to bring them again unto the Lord, and they testified against them, but they would not give ear. So prophets do tend to um, flock together, you know, um, if you think about it, uh, in the Bible, you'll see there where uh, the prophets tend to just be together. Like when Saul, uh, had been proclaimed the king, they, you know, Samuel told him, you're going to meet a group of prophets. Um, and so I don't know, this happens often. There's groups of prophets together. You know, if you read in some of the, uh, old Testament, some of the greater and lesser prophets, there are groups of of prophets living together. Um, I'm not really sure what that means uh, or why that is, but we do see that happening. Um, it seems that there's a characteristic of that office. We see that in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 8, verse 3 and 4, it seems he was actually instructed to take a prophetess as a wife and have a child with her. Um, and so we see uh, Hosea is another one who took a wife to be uh, um, his uh, a woman to be his wife. And although she wasn't a prophetess, it was once again God sort of speaking to mankind through the life of a prophet. And so uh, let's, let's go ahead and look at that in Isaiah. It says, And I went unto the prophetess, and she conceived and bare a son. Then said the Lord to me, Call his name Meher Shalashbaz, for, for before the child shall have no knowledge to cry, my father and my mother, the riches of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria, shall be taken away before the king of Assyria. And that name was Mahershalash Shabbat, I think. So I'm not fluent on Hebrew, guys. But I think it's really important for us to really look at that and say, wow, you know, like the Lord is asking them to use parts of their life to be a message to the world. So in any case, prophets often congregated together or they even mentored younger prophets with, uh, I believe it was Ezekiel and, um, not Ezekiel, it was uh, Elijah and Elisha. So you see this a lot. A prophet has to be lucent and, and it has to be someone who is dedicated to sort of um, teaching other, I won't say lesser prophets, maybe younger prophets, you know, how to do it. It seems like a somewhat difficult uh, calling to have or a complex calling to have that requires a certain level of uh, focus. And so if you have this calling, you might understand what that means. Um, and I want to point out here too something very important is that prophets have to be lucent and they have, they have to be not given to substance abuse when delivering messages. And we can read that in Isaiah chapter 28, verse 7. It says, 
but they also have erred through wine and through strong drink, are out of the way. The priest and the prophet have erred through strong drink. They are swallowed up of wine. They are out of the way through strong drink. They err in vision. They stumble in judgment. So in fact, in the old days, and even today, many prophets of other kinds of gods and traditions, they often used intoxicating substances to help them see dreams and visions. And if you find a prophet or a religious man who does this, I want you to run as fast as you can (laughs) and don't believe anything that he or she says because the prophet is supposed to be completely lucid. His inspiration is not from alcohol or drugs or whatever. It's from God. Also note, you might be a local prophet or you might be an international one. And I think this is really critical. And I hope if you are seeing signs that you are a prophet from this Bible study, you really take note right here. You might be local or you might be international. In Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, God proclaimed that he would be a prophet not only to the temple or even to Israel, but to the nations. It may be your position to speak on behalf of God to the world. So don't let people feed you with unbiblical rhetoric about only serving in the church or with believers. That's just not true. And nowhere in the Bible, unfortunately, is this written down. There's no thing. In fact, all of the disciples, all of the apostles, pretty much everybody had some sort of interactions with things going on tangibly in their world. So most prophets in the Bible, they were prophesying to kings and officials and regents. So I don't want you to, you know, get trapped into this unbiblical idea that has kind of grown in the church. There is also a blessing that comes with accepting or helping a prophet that we learn too in Matthew chapter 10, verse 41. Christ talks about the prophet's reward, and we can see many instances in scripture where after a person had helped a prophet, the prophet asked them, what can I reward you with? What do you want? What do you need? And to some he gave great wealth, some people he gave a child, some people he gave double blessing. The prophet gave them something that he thought they needed, something that they wanted so very badly. So if you have the fortune to actually be able to help a prophet, according to Christ, you get a prophet's reward. And am I just making this up? Let's go look at it in scripture. Matthew chapter 10, verse 40 and 41, it says, He that receives you receives me and he that receives me receiveth him that sent me he that receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward and he that receiveth a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward that's pretty cool it's a pretty cool thing to help a righteous man to help a prophet Um, And the Bible even says when people help you, when they receive you, that when they do something good for you, they get to receive something back. That's pretty cool. I think that's pretty cool. So so it's really important. And I don't want you to do good things for uh, people just because you think you're going to get a reward. Like, please don't do that. But there is um, a pattern in the Bible of people who acted on behalf of a prophet and they got a pretty cool prophet's reward. Now, while some people may laud you, 
like those um, you may not know. They might laud your gift as a prophet. Problem is, that's not always the case. You know, people closest to you may actually kind of um, take issue with your gift of prophecy or your calling as a prophet. They may never recognize it. Um, They just may not just believe you. They may think it's just odd. And this would be believers too. Um, and, And the reason I'm saying this is because there is a precedent for it. And Jesus speaks of it. Um, He talks about how that a prophet gets no honor in his own city. So I want you to be prepared for it. You know, this is something that seems to be um, sort of exclusive. I won't say exclusive, but pretty, uh, um, I would say, characteristic in the calling of a prophet is that sometimes he gets no respect in his hometown. And so let's see what Jesus Christ actually said about it. It says in Matthew chapter 13, verse 57, And they were offended in him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, save in his own country and in his house. Aw, shucks. You know, it would be great if people saw you as something wonderful at home too. But the chances are the people who are really going to find you to be just like, wow, mind-blowing, are not going to be the people closest to you. But you should not let that discourage you in terms of being a prophet and fulfilling the word of God. So I hope that this has been a good study for you in terms of you learning what a prophet is, what he does, how to operate in it. And I want to encourage you to link up with other prophets um, and find people who are prophets, who really are prophets, who can mentor you and give you some understanding in it. And to remember to stay consecrated and stay, um, you know, working on the spiritual aspect of yourself because of the very sensitive nature of the work that you do in your calling as a prophet. Um, And so I want to say also, so that you can know, the guy Judas, who was not the Judas who betrayed uh, Jesus, but another Judas, and also Silas, they were prophets as well. So if you're saying, well, who was a prophet in the Bible? that I can look at, whose life I can look at. Well, it was Judas and Silas. You can find that in Acts chapter 15, verse 32. And there's plenty of prophets everywhere, men and women in the Bible. So I want to encourage you. I pray that God continually gives you revelation uh, as it is being a prophet. Um, I am praying for you because that is a very uh, unique and special calling. And um, if you have questions about this calling or there's some way that I can help you with that, please do leave me a message here at Anchor FN. Um, You can also reach out to me on social media. It's One Love Live. And I would be happy to provide you with um, any information that I can have with you or pray with you. But I just want you to remember you can do it. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. God bless you. Bye.